Today we are going to start the conversation with uh, Evan Zimmerman, Chairman of Joe Bono. Um, Evan, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward. So tell us a bit about yourself and Giovanna. Let's uh, get acquainted. Thank you. So um, as for myself, so I started my first company when I was actually a teenager, consumer products company called Mighty Mug, very successful, sold millions of units, over a billion organic views online. From there, I went on to start um, Giovanna, which is a venture capital firm that invests in uh, paradigm-shifting founders that are solving hard problems and building delightful products. We've invested in a lot of really successful companies um, like Anduril, Aspiration, Zkit, Notarize, Paragon, and more. We invest both early and late, um, mostly primary, but a little bit of secondary as well. Um, and we're interested in people who are going to change the world for the better um, on real problems. What is the size of the fund? Yeah, so we've deployed a nine-figure amount, and the deals that we've done have ranged anywhere from five to seven figures, depending on the type of deal. So um, let's get a little bit specific. Um, you know, the, the early-stage investment ecosystem, which is our focus area, Mm -hmm. has become quite fragmented at this point, right? It's, uh, you know, before it was seed and series A, now it's pre-seed, well, friends and family, and then pre-seed, seed, post-seed, pre-series A, small series A, large series A, traditional series A, etc. So where in that spectrum do you position your activities? Yeah, so great question. I mean, we've done deals at all stages, right? So we participated in Series Ds and even a crossover round. The majority of our deals cluster around that sort of pre-seed and Series A. Now, to be clear, we have been, we actually have, I think, two or three companies where we were the absolute first check, like we're investor number one. But most of our investments are not at that point. Most of them are when the company, like, does exist. It may still be in the stage of development. So you may still be working on the first version of your product. But by the time you talk to us, you usually have at least one kind of proof point, even if it's technical or even if it's early in the market. All right. So let's um, talk about sectors. Where do you like to invest? Yeah, so for me, um, I you know, a lot of people, when they talk about a sector, they're talking about like a vertical, like you're saying, I only invest in healthcare, or something like a stage or B2B or B2C. So we are looking for something a little different in terms of the type of strategy. So whether you're in a particular industry or B2B, B2C isn't what we're necessarily looking for. We're looking for people who are um, leveraging long um, uh, industry or technological tailwinds. Um, and so that doesn't necessarily mean the market has to be huge at the time that you look at it. YouTube is a great example. When YouTube started, the video market was really big, but you know the online video market was really small. It was just growing really fast. Um, and we also look for things that commoditize and complement a lot of the time. So the idea is if you think of like peanut butter and jelly, those are complements, right? 
If you have peanut butter, you want to have jelly. But sometimes you have compliments that are a little less obvious. So if you take the example of Apple, for example, Apple's complement is actually software developers. The app ecosystem is the complement to the iPhone and Mac OS and all that stuff. And with a lot of the things that just came out within WWDC, they're commoditizing their complements. They're taking a lot of things that developers do and they're actually turning that into the operating system level. Um, and therefore making software developers a little less valuable in their ecosystem, even though it's really important. So people who are doing that kind of thing um, are, are people who uh, are pursuing a strategy that we're really excited about. Um, but in terms of things like we don't invest in, like a lot of people have a prohibition on biotech. We've done a biotech deal, and we're actually looking into one right now. We don't do a lot of them, um, but you know, we, we are, we're open to almost anything. And what is geography? Um, what is the geography focus for you? Yeah, so we mostly invest in the U.S., but we actually have done a number of deals outside. So the people who invest in the U.S. primarily do so for a few different reasons. Some people, it's just because, you know, they don't um, feel like they can actually, like, understand the local market or something like that. But a lot of people are also, um, you know, there are tax considerations and, and some logistical legal considerations. So we've done a number of deals in Israel and we've done a deal in the UK. Um, you'll, you're seeing actually a lot more funds going to like Latin America where we haven't done a deal yet, but we're totally open to it. So for Chibono, we're totally fine doing deals um, in any geography. Um, it's just that the majority of them have been in the U.S. So one kind of deal that we haven't done yet, um, just because of, you know, the way that we run Javono and sort of the scale of, of the firm, is there are a lot of people who are working on versions of companies that service a local market, it's like Airbnb for Brazil or something. So that's a kind of company that I'm sure will be quite successful. And if you're working on that, I wish you the best of luck. We don't feel like that's where sort of our, our competence or area of focus. The companies we've invested in outside of the U.S. are technology companies. They're companies that have made something that's literally the best in the world, and they just need some help getting into markets outside of their original market or even penetrating their local market. Um, and because it's something that can be globally dominant and is the absolute best in the world, we feel like saying, hey, you know, if you have a worse technology but you're based in the U.S., that means you should get our check. Uh, no, if you have the best technology in the world. Um, and one thing is Where are you located? I'm based in California. Okay. In, in Silicon Valley or in Southern California? So I jumped between the two. Um, okay. So let's do some examples. You've talked about a variety of deals that you've done. So let's take some examples. And what we'd like to do in these kind of case studies, let's say, is um, to understand your, you know, process. Uh, you know, in what state did you discover this company? How did that company come to you, or how did you find that company? What state were they in? What is it about that company that really captured your imagination sufficiently to make you want to write a check? So, not just what those companies are and what they do, but also the the process of your journey with them. Yeah, definitely. Um, so one example I'll talk about is Paragon. Um, they're doing really, really well. Um, they, we actually invested the week that they got into Y Combinator. 
Um, but they were, you know, people who I, in this case, had already known and been following. I had actually been brainstorming with them about their startup. And by the way, like there are a number of, of founders where it's not the right time for us to invest, but um, we still talk with them and help them come up with their ideas and introduce them to investors who might be more relevant for them. Um, and we think it makes sense and they're a strong enough, you know, founding team that they'll provide value even if it's not a fit for us. And a really important thing for us was proof points. So we invested in the pre-seed. We were one of the earliest investors in Paragon, but they already had proof points, right? The most important proof point was that this was a real, was, it was based on a real problem that they faced as, entre as entrepreneurs in their previous company. In fact, one of the- What did they do? So what Paragon does is Paragon makes a SaaS product that allows developers to build integrations with other SaaS products very quickly. So let's say that I'm a website and I want to have a Salesforce integration. Instead of learning how the Salesforce API works, I just use Paragon and they handle all that stuff for me. And they had proof points. They'd already built early versions of the product. They um, already had attracted a few other investors, but it was very small. It's not like they had a lead. Um, they already had, again, encountered that problem. In fact, I was a client of one of the founders and we encountered that very problem. So they had proof points and they'd already started talking to customers. They talked to like over a hundred people by the time that they talked to me. So, um, rather by the time they talked to me asking for investment. So I uh, remember we'd already been talking. So th those are things that are awesome. And, I, and one other thing too, is that when I'm talking, we're talking about the about the actual companies. So there's this book called VC, a history it's by Tom Nichols and it has the best exposition of this that I've ever seen, which is there are really three core things that people talk about and focus on when they look at these companies, they look at market, they look at people, they look at technology. Uh, those are the three key things. Everyone cares about one of the three, a little more than the others. Although it really depends on the company. Right. Um, and, you know, one of the things I care about a lot when I look at these, especially in the earlier stages, is not just that people are solving real problems, that they've done some effort to validate that it's a real problem. It's also just that they have grit and creativity. Those are two things that I care about a lot more than other people, because the reality is that the core advantage startups have, is, other than a new technology sometimes, is, is speed, right? You can work faster than a big company. And because they will eventually try to catch up to you once they realize you have something. So if you can move, so if you're going to be really creative and if you are able to deal with hard stuff, if you have examples of times where you've dealt with hard problems or you tinker around with things in your free time and work really hard, those are things that are really exciting. And that idea of proof points that doesn't have to be that you're a previously successful founder to be clear, but some evidence of proof points from the market or in your life. That's really, really good. Okay, let's do another example. I just want to, um, you know, understand your thinking across a couple of. Uh, you're you're doing a very good job of illustrating what, uh, you know, what attracts you. But keep going. Let's do another couple of examples. Thanks. And if it's too long or you want me to dig deeper into something, feel oh, free. Keep going. So let's. So go ahead. I'm excited for your next question. The question is, I want to hear a couple of more examples mm. of companies that you have invested in and, and just the process of what you've seen and so forth. 
Yeah, I'll give you another example. So Zkit um, is a company we invested in. We actually led the Series A with some friends of ours. Um, we led their or co-led their Series A, um, which was their last round of investment before they sold to uh, Walmart for over $200 million. And they had a SaaS business that was growing quickly and had uh, you know a number of really prominent customers. Um, so our process with them was that we were introduced to them by a friend of ours who was considering investing and ended up co-leading the round with us. And they came to us because one of the things that we do better than a lot of other people is we're really good at actually understanding the technology behind it. Um, now, you don't have to have invested in new technology to have a successful company or to be a, a Javono company, but you have to use it at least very well. So in the case of Zkit, they actually invented something completely new. And so mm -hmm. they, it was, they showed you what you would look like in clothing. And it was by far the best that they that they had ever done. So what we did was we actually walked through their algorithm and how it worked. Um, and that was during the late diligence stage. So normally investors will not sign an NDA. Um, so we're no different than that. Um, nonetheless though, we created a secure way for us to evaluate the technology. It also works. So we ran it in samples. The core reason for why we needed to understand how it worked was because it wasn't perfect yet, although it was very good. It was enough to impress people. And so what we needed to do was understand, is the technology, one, really far ahead so that it'll be hard for people to catch up with them? But we determined that they were at least two years ahead of everyone else. Number two was we, were, was we said, is the technology basis good enough that if they get more resources and a little more time, it will become perfect? And the answer we determined was yes. Number three was we said, based on what they had, is there a viable business model that's also like logistically doable, right? Because you also had to say like, hey, I'm gonna see what people look like in clothing. Can we come up with a way to upload clothing quickly, which was a really big problem we had to solve that they hadn't yet solved. And we thought that there were ways that we could approach this using machine learning. So for them, and obviously the founders were incredible, right? Like the founder was, yeah, the founders were alone in Yale, and Yale, who is basically the inventor of the technology, was this real superstar, like one of the first women to go to the to the Technion, which is the MIT of Israel. She was in the Air Force, really just you know really patriotic, and um, even like while she was the CEO, she was in the reserves for the military. Really hard worker, really incredible person. So. What we so we looked at the founder and we looked at the technology. We were like, okay, like this makes a lot of sense. And so what we did was we gave enough resources for them to finish the technology. We opened up our networks that they could get their first customers, um, and we also just really helped them with the strategy because the business strategy changed a lot. Um, one last thing that we did to help them, which is very unusual, is we helped them get software patents. So software patents are very rare. And you definitely don't need yeah. to be a successful company or successful Javono investment. But when you do get them, they're very valuable and they help. Um, and I, I actually have a law degree from, from Berkeley with honors. And there were several opportunities that I saw where we could actually get a software patent. And that was appealing. So we actually got several software patents for Zkit. Um, and I, you know, they never confirm why, but this I suspect that's one of the reasons they ended up being bought by Walmart for so much money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Now, um, 
when you do these very early stage investments, like almost pre-seed investments, yeah. what is the check size that you're writing? So it's all over the map because it's funny you mentioned about the fragmented space at the very top of, of the uh, segment because some of the fragmentation of the space is actually just that the names don't mean anything anymore. Like pre-seed is like, it used to mean like a kickoff to your seed, then it became a whole nother round, but your first round, and now a lot of people do a pre-seed after having raised more than one round of friends and family or they'll do two pre-seeds. So yeah. um, it, I, I'm not trying to avoid the answer to your question. It's just the market, because the names don't mean anything anymore, and the companies raise at such different stages of development and also different stages of signal, there's just not a single answer, right? Like the smallest check that I've written is $5,000 at that at the pre-seed level. Um, but the largest one that we've written at the pre-seed level is probably 250K, right? So, and you know, the one that we wrote that was, we had, we, or no, it was 200. And the 200 one was some founders who I helped I was the absolute first check. I helped them incubate the company because it's literally the strongest founding team I've ever seen. Um, and I feel very validated by that investment because they, uh, it's funny, they're actually still in stealth and yet in their first, they built a really difficult technical product. And then in their first year, they have scaled unbelievably fast. Like it's incredible. And it's a FinTech product too, which is, you know, facing some headwinds right now and they're still growing like crazy. So, um, I think that, uh, you know, it's, and the problem is that the valuations, I mentioned that 5,000 and that 200 K, right? Both precede. 5,000 is hard to value. Yeah. Well, here's the that thing. That has to be a debt. Huh? That has to be a loan. 5,000 has to be a loan. You can't really do a price round on 5,000. Yeah. You can't do a ton, but we just wanted to really support the founder because she's just so good at what, at what she does. But you know, but, but, you know, um, I think that the key thing is part of it's the valuation. So, you know, if you're raising at a much lower valuation as an investor, I don't have to deploy as much to hit my ownership target. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, with this founder, she was way, you know, her proof points were not as good. And so the valuation was way lower. Um, you know, for her, a $5,000 check was the equivalent of a $25,000 check in someone else. Um, so that's an important thing to think about too. All right. Well, I think that gives us a good, uh, you know, kind of overview of your thought process. Um, are you staying for the mentoring session? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Terrific. All right. Let's get into that then.